Marriage. Marriage is what brings us together today. Marriage is no joke. And it's easy to go all in with false expectations when neither is capable of living up to them all. Maybe you didn't know, but Jesus referred to the church as his bride, knowing full well what he was getting into, loving us in spite of our defects and frailties. That what Jesus is saying through Paul's writings here, this is how I want you to open yourself up to my love. Welcome to Simple Truths for Life with Charles Tapp. Here, we hope you'll find answers to some of life's everyday struggles. You can learn more by visiting simpletruthsforlife.org. It's a pretty amazing thought that God chooses to love us, warts and all. And this week, Charles Tapp continues his series, The Church on Trial, by asking whether the church, the bride of Christ, will remain faithful and committed until he returns to take part in the grand celebration he has planned just for her. In part five, here comes the bride. As a pastor, you can imagine just how many weddings I have performed over the last 33 years. I don't even know how many it's been, but one thing I do know, it's a lot. And that doesn't even take into account all the weddings that I attended just as a guest. But here's the one thing that I do know when it comes to wedding. Whether it's a small gathering of just a few, or whether it's on a large scale that even rivals the royal family, the bride is always the center of attention. Somebody said that's right. Don't know if that's fair, but that's just right. Even, even those men who don't claim to be romantically inclined, when they see the bride walk down that center aisle, even they too begin to gasp in awe of the beauty of the bride as she enters the sanctuary. There's something about the bride that just causes us to stop and take Notice. I don't know what it is, the groom, I don't care how sharply dressed he is, Steve. Nobody walks away from a wedding and said, did you see the tuxedo he was wearing? <laughs> did you see those plastic shoes that he had? Oh, oh, what a shine they bore that day. Did you see the bow tie that he was wearing. No, no, when they walk away from a wedding, the only thing they want to talk about is the bride. The bride. Today we continue our series, The Church on Trial, with part five with the message, Here Comes the Bride. And as we do so, I've discovered that as we look at this bride imagery here, it gives us an opportunity to examine the kingdom of God from what I like to call a bird's eye view. Now, some of you, I'm sure, are familiar with that expression, a bird's eye view, because what that idiomatic expression simply means is that you and I are able to have a view of something from an elevated standpoint that allows us to get a bigger picture of what is actually 
before us, larger than the one we currently have. But when you look at that expression figuratively, it means that you and I are given a wider, a broader view of something, whether that something is a thing or an idea or an opinion or a truth, and it allows us to see it from a much broader and much more detailed perspective. And this is important, especially in the context of trying to understand people, ideas, and yes, even the world in which we live. But sadly, I've discovered too many of us today, and especially too many of us who are part of the kingdom of God, we have a myopic view when it comes to the things of this world, especially the things of God. Many times we are nearsighted, and in being nearsighted, we are missing the bigger picture that God has for us. For instance, if a person steals a a loaf of bread, if you have a myopic view, then you will say that person broke the law, which means then they need to be punished. But when you pull back the lens that allows you to see the bigger picture, yes, that person broke the law. They stole a loaf of bread. But when you pull back and you see the bigger picture, you then understand why they broke the law, why they stole that bread. You find out that they had no food at home to feed their children, so they stole that loaf of bread to feed their family. Yes, they were wrong, but one thing that it allows you to do once you get a bigger bird's eye view of life and things, and especially people, it allows you to see things, it allows you to see people in a much wider and a much larger context. And I'm so happy today that when it comes to sin and my relationship with God, that God does not suffer from having a myopic point of view. Amen? Because if that was the case in Romans 6.23, it would read something like this. For the wages of sin is death. And it would end right there. Amen? But because God has a wider point of view, he sees things from a different perspective than you and I see it. It doesn't just end for the wages of sin of death. But the bigger picture today is, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Who says amen for that today? I'm glad that God doesn't suffer from this eye condition that many of us suffer from today. Because if we, if he did, you and I would have no hope of salvation today. So as we examine today the kingdom of God, we want to do it from what I like to call a bride's eye view. And what I mean by that is how the bride sees the groom. As she looks at him today, we're going to look through the lenses of the bride so that we can understand more fully what God wants us to know as it relates to the church being his bride. And as we've already discovered in our series, The Church on Trial, the Bible is replete with metaphors, especially in the New Testament, as it relates to describing the church. A couple of weeks ago, we looked at the church and we used the metaphor salt and light 
which helps us to understand that as the church, you and I are supposed to have impact and influence on the culture that we live in. Amen? Sadly, too many times the opposite takes place. The culture has more impact on us than we have on the culture. But Jesus says, I want you to be salt. I want you to make a difference. I want you to add seasoning and flavor. I want you to be light. I want you to dispel the darkness. Another metaphor that we looked at that Jesus uses to describe the church is the body. We've called the body of Christ, which lets us know that as each member of our physical body is dependent on the other for survival, we too are dependent upon one another for our survival in the kingdom of God. And here's the bigger lesson we need to remember. As with the human body, no one part of the body is more important or has more value than the other. Even the little toe. Several years ago, I was going to the restroom and didn't get a chance to turn on the light. I stubbed the little toe on my left foot and it hit the corner of that bedpost. Has that ever happened to you? I didn't curse. I said some words, but I didn't curse, amen? But I broke that toe and I said, oh, well, it's just a little toe and they taped it up. But let me tell you, breaking that little toe impacted my entire equilibrium. Jesus is trying to let us know when he looks at the church, he says, you're the body. No one group is more important than the other. The young people are not subservient to the older, the rich to the poor, the black to the white, the male to the female, or the female to the male. All of us are the same in the body of Christ. Do you believe that today? So the scripture gives us these metaphors so that we can better understand and have a broader comprehension of what the kingdom of God is supposed to be. But of all the metaphors that are used in the New Testament to describe the church, in my opinion, none is more powerful and more compelling than that of the metaphor of us being the bride of Christ. Because it is in the use of the bride of Christ imagery that God helps us to understand this intimate relationship that he desires to have with you and me, his church. So let's go to our first passage this morning as we go to the book of Ephesians chapter 5. And I want to read first verses 22 to 24. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church. And he is the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. If ever there was a portion of Scripture that is hated by many people, this is it. I'm so glad I didn't write it today. Especially with women. This is one of the passages that has this dirty word in it, submission. You said it. But this word in many 
parts of our culture appears to be outdated. It appears to be out of fashion because it's at odds with our current culture's attitudes of of permissiveness and freedom. And you can understand this when you look across the world in our culture, various cultures, and you see how women have been treated, many of them as second-class citizens, even in the church of God. But this dislike seems to be a pervasive attitude in our society today, one that transcends this issue of women. For even in our culture today, children don't want to submit themselves to the authority of their parents. Employees don't want to submit themselves to the authority of their employers. And yes, even church members many times refuse to submit themselves to the authority and the decisions of the governing bodies that make up that church. But I submit to you today that the theme of submission is not really what this passage especially in the context in which many of us see submission, is all about. Because when some read Ephesians, they begin to wonder whether the Apostle Paul was suffering from schizophrenia. Because this is the same Paul that says in Galatians chapter 3, 28, that once you are in Christ, all these distinctions that we use as human beings to to put others down and to discriminate one with the other no longer come into play. So he says, once you're in Christ, no longer male nor female, no longer Jew, no longer Greek, no longer bond, no longer free. I don't think Paul was really being schizophrenic, and I don't think Paul was really contradicting himself. The problem, I believe, is that too many times When we read this passage in Ephesians 5, we suffer from myopia. We have a myopic view of Scripture, especially in this particular passage. And it's only when you and I look through the lenses of the bride are we able to see some, even for the first time, the view of the kingdom of God that God wants us to understand, that God wants us to have not only of his kingdom and his church, and of him, but it also gives us the opportunity to see the picture that God wants to have for us. You're listening to Simple Truths for Life with Charles Tapp and part five of The Church on Trial. Here comes the bride. And if you're enjoying this message or you'd like to find others like it, you can find out more by visiting simpletruthsforlife.org. We'll conclude with the rest of his message right after this. Man, when I think about WGTS, I think about family, and uh, WGTS lifts me up. The whole crew has truly been a blessing in my life, and um, I'm forever grateful for WGTS and what they do for myself and for the community. Support makes a difference. I always uh, encourage people. Like, you want to listen to something to be encouraged when you're going through a tough time, turn to 91.9. They are definitely up with the spirits. And uh, especially in the trying time we're in right now in society. Working together to impact the nation's capital. And I am forever grateful for for the WGPS family because that's exactly what it is family. And we get to be a part of that. 
as listeners, which is, is amazing. Listener funded. WGTS 91.9. Always encouraging. At 88.3 on the Eastern Shore. This is Simple Truths for Life. And Jesus refers to the church as his bride and willing to accept us despite our flaws and weaknesses. And today, Charles Tapp wonders if the church has been and will continue to be faithful to her groom. As he continues his message, here comes the bride. So let's go back to that passage in Ephesians 5, but let's pull back the lens and let's look at these next few verses in Ephesians 5 after verse 24. Look at what it says. Husbands, love your wives just as what? Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might do what? Sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without what? Blemish. So husbands are to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Now don't miss this. As I said earlier, a bride's eye view is how the bride sees her groom. And when you look at this passage from this aerial viewpoint, you see that the focus in this passage that Paul gives is not on what the wife should do, but the onus Paul places smack right on the responsibility of the husband or the groom. So Paul is saying here, and it's paramount to understanding, not just the kingdom, but marriage as a whole. Paul is saying, listen, husbands, love your wives like I love the church. How do I love the church? Paul says, I gave my life for the church. I bathed the church in the word of God to make her clean. I removed and willing to remove every blotch and every wrinkle that the trials of this life has placed on her. Now think about this for a moment. What woman wouldn't want to receive that kind of love from her husband. Paul is saying the responsibility is not on the woman to make this relationship what it should be. Paul is saying it's on the man just as it is on Christ and not the church. You see, we focus on the part that the church needs to be clean and sanctified, but who cleanses her? Who sanctifies her? The groom does. It's like sending, like a groom sending his wife to a day spa and say, baby, have a good time. What woman wouldn't open herself up to that kind of love? This metaphor helps us to understand that what Jesus is saying through Paul's writings here, this is how I want you to open yourself up to my love. One who was willing to die for you live for you, provide for you. In other words, this bride image allows you and I to see the unmatchless love that God has for us, even though we may be an ungrateful and undeserving bride. So when Paul says in Ephesians 5 to submit to your husband as to the Lord, in essence, he is saying, 
submit or open yourselves up to the depths of the love that he has for you because that's how I want the church to respond to the love that I have for them. Look at this quotation by David Jeremiah. It talks about the love of God. Saving us is the greatest and most concrete demonstration of God's love. The definitive display of his grace throughout time and eternity. Why did God choose you? Why did God choose me? Because he loves us. Even in the midst of all of our imperfection, which is why we need to stop looking for a perfect church. I love what the theologian Eugene Peterson says. He says, the church we want can be an enemy to the church we have. In other words, he's saying we miss out on the benefits of the church where we are looking for a church that does not exist. Because the only church on this earth that is perfect is a church without me and a church without you. For the only perfect church we'll ever have on this earth is a church without people. Because here's the thing, if you go to a perfect church, it is no longer perfect because you're there. He says we're running from sanctification. Why do you think, or how do you think rather, God sanctifies us? How does God produce the fruits of his spirit within us? How do you think we get patience by putting us in the midst of impatient people? How do you think God helps us to love by surrounding us with unlovely people? So we're running trying to find a church that does not exist and we're missing out on what does exist and we miss out on the process of sanctification in our lives. God has an imperfect church full of an imperfect people he has decided to love them anyway. You see, a lot of us go to the church because we think the church is a healer. But more times, the church is a revealer than it is a healer. For when you get to a church, it reveals your imperfections. Look at what Paul says here. He says, oh, that you would bear with me in a little folly. And indeed, just bear with me for a while. Just bear with me for a moment. He says, for I am jealous for you with godly jealousy, for I have betrothed you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear, lest somehow, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. In other words, Paul is saying, while you're going through this period of being betrothed, I think my concern for you is that you're going to be unfaithful to Christ. You know, this whole period of being betrothed is similar to what we call an engagement period in our culture today. But in the Jewish culture, it was much different than that. It was, it was bigger than that. For it was not just a promise to marry someone. It was also a legal binding agreement the two individuals would marry one another at somehow, at some time in the future. So in other words, 
It is a type of engagement, but it is also legally binding. And once you were betrothed for about a year, your job was to prepare for the marriage. And what I find interesting here, if you look at the Jewish culture, the major responsibility, don't miss this point, on the relationship at that point was not the bride, the woman, it was the groom. One of his first responsibilities was to prepare a place for them to live. Ladies, listen to what I'm about to tell you. If he wants to marry you, but he has no place to take you, tell him I may love you, but not yet. If he tells you, well, we can go live in my mother's basement, oh, no, 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 no. Tell him, you take some time and prepare for me. Amen? The other thing he had to do was to pay the wife's family, the bride's family, a dowry, a specific amount of money, livestock, whatever the case may be, and that was to show his commitment that he was serious about them getting married. When you look at that imagery and you see it through the eyes of a bride, it makes John 14, 1 to 3 come to life. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me, for in my Father's house they have many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. Here it is, ladies. I go to prepare a place for you. I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, you may be also. But what's the dowry? What price did he pay for us to be his bride? He hung on the cross and he shed his blood so that he could say to us, that's how committed I am for you to be my bride. And what Paul is saying here in 2 Corinthians is, we know how committed Christ is. How committed are you? Because once you were in this period of being betrothed, the only way you could get out of it was to be unfaithful. So Paul is asking the church, not just of Corinth, but the church through all ages, how serious are you about being the bride of Christ? Because he's done his part. Are you willing to do yours? Everything that you and I need to be the bride that Christ wants us to be, he's already given to us. He says, I will wash you clean with the word. I'll put you in a state where you can have my righteousness. So going back to Ephesians 5, the issue is not about the woman submitting to the man. No, no, no. Anybody who tells you that, they're lying. Paul is saying, look at what God has done for you. Will you be open to that love? Will you acknowledge, will you respond to that kind of love? And that's all the obedience that God wants from us. He only wants obedience that comes from the heart of love. Obedience, I've said it before, I'll say it again. Obedience without love is legalism. 
Obedience based on love is commitment. And all Christ wants to know is, are you committed as I am? I've gone to prepare the place. I've already paid the dowry. I've given you what you need to be the bride that is able to be my bride. I just want to know when I return, will you be found as faithful as I am? Amen? So looking at the kingdom of God through the eyes and through the lenses of a bride, it's not about submission. It's about responding to the unmatchless love that God has for his church. A church that is unfaithful, a church that is deficient, a church that is ungrateful, a church that is unworthy, a church that doesn't deserve to be his bride. And the only reason we are his bride is because he's the groom. So it's on him. All he wants us to do is respond in love by submitting our lives to him. You've been listening to Simple Truths for Life with Charles Tapp and part five of The Church on Trial. Here comes the bride. And if you want to listen again or share it with someone, you can find these messages on platforms like Apple Podcasts and now also on Spotify. Or visit us online at simpletruthsforlife.org. And next week, the trial continues as Charles Tapp puts the most important witness on the stand. We'll continue with part six of The Church on Trial with his message, The Star Witness. Well, thanks for listening, and we hope you'll plan to join us again next week for more Simple Truths for Life.